What is going on, everybody? And welcome. This is episode number 64 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Risotto, and we are joined, along with Jasper Lindsay, I keep forgetting him, and we are joined uh, today by head varsity baseball coach at Archbishop Reardon High School, my alma mater. It is Coach Brandon Ramsey. Coach, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Just uh, got off the field, got to working with a couple little kids out for a little baseball camp. So, uh, man, I'm, I'm doing great, man. It's a good day. So if anybody's listening out there, this is the guy that uh, revolutionized 5'8", 150 right-handed pitchers, low two, uh, three-quarter release who throw 55 miles an hour. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, yeah, he, he uh, put me in big spots. So appreciate him for that. Uh, but right off the bat, uh, you, along with many coaches in your role, kind of have dealt with players being rusty uh, due to due to, you know, the time off, no travel ball last summer. Was it kind of tough to navigate through the season? Because I know you guys just finished up. Uh, was it tough to navigate through that and have everybody come kind of into the season in shape? Yeah, man. I mean, um, I think we looked at this year when it was all said and done, and um, we went through tons of rotations and just moving guys around, Um which was a good thing. You know, we got a lot of kids in this year, um, which is not kind of the normal routine, but like you said, you know, you get, you got guys who um, were out of shape um, guys whose arms weren't in shape. Um, so I remember early on, you know, kind of the bicep soreness and, and tired arms. So you had to rotate some pitchers in and out. Um, and ultimately, you know, for these guys, really hadn't seen any of them play that much in the two years. You know, we had our season cut short and then we had a season pretty much washed out. So it's like, you know, it's like two brand new teams coming in, trying to combine them that I haven't really seen. So, yeah, man, it was a lot of things going on. Just um, trying to get used to some guys, trying to lock down um, kind of some different rotations and matchups. And at the end of the day, like you said, just tons and tons of rust to knock off too, man. It was, it was, uh, it was quite the year with that for sure. Yeah. And was it strange playing the abbreviated schedule? I mean, especially the teams you'd normally play and with the rust and everything. Yeah. I mean, actually at the end of the day, we ended up getting in uh, 26 games. I think a normal season is 27. Um, we had to jam it up a little bit. Obviously we were playing um, three game league weeks kind of back to back to back. Um, so that was challenging. Um, but all in all, we got a lot of games in and, and because of the rotating guys around and utilizing different lineups and giving guys a lot of opportunities, you know, uh, we were able to kind of weather a lot of the storm with that and, and um, you know, built a lot of guys up with a lot of innings, you know. So let's get into you personally here. How did you kind of get involved in baseball and how did you kind of figure out that it was a passion of yours? Uh, oh, man. Um, That's loaded. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was just playing ball. Grew up in South City um, and just baseball was big and, and we played a lot of baseball um, and just kind of came up through the ranks. And it was kind of once high school was coming around, um, I got a friend of mine that was kind of like, were you playing baseball? And I was like, I'm going to El Camino high school. I'm a South city kid. And, and, um, they're like, Oh, you should try out Sarah or whatever. And, you know, and so I ended up trying it out and just trying to go to the school. I ended up getting accepted there. And, um, my parents thought it was a good thing for me. So got to play at Sarah, played four years there, um, had a decent career there. Um, 
I played football too. So I kind of had a decision on at the end of the day, not like I was a big D one guy, but I had an opportunity to play for JC for either way and kind of pick my career if I wanted to play football or baseball. Um, and baseball, I just loved, man. It was, it was my sport. I felt like it was more challenging, nothing against football, but it was just more challenging to me. And, um, so I ended up playing at Skyline Junior College, um, had some good years there, won our first championship in like 30 years. And I think it was the last, I don't know if they won one since, um, and got lucky enough to get a scholarship, um, to go play at, uh, Lewis Clark state in Idaho, um, played for a hall of fame coach out there named Ed chef, um, ended up transferring out of there after my first year to Lee university in Tennessee, which um, played for another Hall of Fame coach, David Altop, um, Biggie is what we called him. And, um, you know, got to play some good baseball, man, got to college live, kind of um, got some humble pie served to me, really got to see what it was like. Um, and then all in all, man, it was, my career was ended in a semi-regional game. You know, we lost, it was over and um, came home. I started working, start, trying to make some money and, uh, I got a phone call from Carlos Ramon at El Camino High School. Just like, hey, man, you ever think about coaching? And at the time, I was just like, nah, not really. And uh, he said, sit on it, man. Tell me what you think. And um, I ended up taking the job at El Camino. And now it's, you know, 15 years later, I've coached high school baseball, junior college baseball, and been blessed enough to be here at Reardon now. So it's been good, man. Yeah, and your guy has been around the game a long time. What were your favorite players growing up? Oh, uh, Barry Bonds was my guy, man. You know, um, Barry Bonds, I just, I was a Giants guy, Giants fan. He was the Mecca of, of, of baseball. Um, and, uh, I just love watching him play. I pre appreciated his, uh, athleticism, you know, five, you know, only guy in the 500, 500 club he was stealing, he was gold gloving. Um, he was hitting palms. I mean, the guy was legit, um, the best I've ever seen. And being a Giants fan, I mean, there was just nothing else, you know what I mean? So, uh, Barry Bonds was my guy, man. I got a chance to meet him, shake his hand. I was a bat boy for the Giants um, at one point. And, uh, you know, I got a signed ball up in my room still. And him and Dusty Baker got two balls. And, um, man, he, he was the guy, though, man. I love him. Definitely my favorite. Yeah. So, I mean, you went to high school at kind of a powerhouse for baseball and just sports in general and Sarah. But what are you noticing between the young athletes you see today at Reardon and the athletes you grew up playing with? Well, I mean, <laughs> that's, 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 there's a difference, you know, Sarah, Sarah gets a lot of talent, you know, um, they get a lot of guys and guys that are going there to play baseball. You know, I mean, when I, when I played there, I think we had, I mean, if I can go down, I think our first baseman went D1, our catcher went D1, our shortstop went D1, our center fielder went to junior college, but that was because of grades. He ended up getting drafted. Um, our pitcher was playing in AAA. So, I mean, like everyone I played with was going, you know, high level college baseball, pretty much our entire team where, you know, at Reardon, at least where we're at now, you know, we're, we're lucky to get a guy out here or there to play some college. Um, you know, I don't think we have a couple junior college guys or maybe some guys that are going to try and walk on. So I think that's really just the difference, you know, we're just um, not, not that type of program, maybe not that type of school. Um, you know, all in all, we have a lot of kids that come and love the game, but it just may not be the same talent level. That's all the, really the difference is, you know? Yeah.
So more and more coaches maybe on the younger side of things are kind of entering the industry. And I know you mentioned you entered pretty young. Why was coaching something that intrigued you? So when the guy at El Camino came up to you and said, Hey, do you want to coach? What kind of intrigued you to kind of take the bait? Um, actually I was, um, you know, be honest with you. I remember I could still sit there and, uh, remember, the game's over. We lost, packed up all our stuff. And um, I was in Alabama playing in a semi-regional. And I remember just hanging over the fence, man, looking at the fields, beautiful field. It was a midday game, clouds, beautiful sky, man. I was just kind of like, you know, this is it, man, you know? And uh, in my head, you know, baseball was over. My career was over and, uh, you know, I had to come home and I had to go to work. You know, I didn't have any luxury to play any independent ball or anything. And, um, when I came home, I'm working, you know? And so baseball was the last thing on my mind. And so when I was asked, it was a genuine, like, nah, I don't think so, man. Like, you know, I'm a baseball player, you know, I don't really know how much I want to be a coach. I didn't really expect it to be something that I wanted to do. Um, but sat on it. I think it was like two weeks. I sat on it two or three weeks that I sat on it. And, uh, I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna give it a shot. And, um, Man, I'll tell you, um, I remember just getting out there, being part of it again, and it was just like all those feelings came back, that love came back. And I think it was after the first game where I got the same butterflies and jitters that I did when I was a player that I was like, all right, I'm back in this game. You know what I mean? And and I felt like it didn't, I didn't have to be a player to be part of the game, you know? And uh, when I got that feeling, man, I knew it was something that I wanted to do long term for sure. Yeah, and you've been coaching the city a long time. Have you seen the game kind of shift culturally over the years? And I mean, are you seeing players who still love the game as much as you did when you first started coaching? Or have you seen the game kind of dwindle in the city over the years? Oh, man, you know, I think the love's there for sure. I, I don't think the love has died down. People really love the game. They really love the sport. I just don't think people play it like we used to, you know? Um we loved it. I think just the same, we were watching and playing, emulating guys, all that same stuff. But, you know, we were out every day playing strikeout or throwing balls around, hitting ground balls. I mean, it was just like, that's what we did. You know, um, I don't know if kids are necessarily doing that as much. I think that's really the divide, at least in the city. And then there's probably many reasons, right? Transportation, field space, you know, all those type of things may not be the same. Um, you know, we're growing up, everybody, we had fields, we're running around on bikes everywhere we went. So, you know, it's just like throw a bag on, get to the park and everybody's playing. So I think that's probably the only difference um, because you just don't see the same type of uh, physicality. Um, you don't see some of the same like instincts of the game that we kind of had kind of coming into it, you know? So, um, and even just little things like throwing, um, I really, that's been one of the biggest hampers for us, I think, coming out of the city is um, a lot of kids don't come in here ready to throw and just having that arm where like, not that anybody was necessarily teaching us, but as you're throwing every day and playing catch and playing strikeout, you kind of figure it out, you know, and, uh, you know, we get kids as freshmen in here, it's like, man, it's like ground one and then I, ground floor and I've got to kind of build them up and teach them how to throw, so um, just getting out there and play, I think, is something that is just missing with our city kids, you know. 
Yeah, definitely. It's definitely something where you got to kind of just play it just to get a feel for the game, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, just think about – I mean, that's what it is, man. It's You get out there and just like it's three on three, you know, whatever, and you just play different aspects of the game and you start learning like the game within the game, you know, and that's something that kids I think they're missing, you know, especially even the kids that are playing, they're, you know, in cages and, and they're doing just a club ball thing, but they miss all the little details, the game within the game and, and those instincts that it takes to be a real baseball player. And they're on their phones too much. And <laughs> there's too many screens. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, they've got the MLB show on their phone. So, you know, what else you got to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of uh, philosophies on like how to get players to buy in maybe either to your style or, uh, the program style and many coaches kind of roll with the, the one for all approach. How important is it for you to like, for you and your team to, uh, for you to navigate through all the different personalities that you coach and kind of accommodate accordingly, you know, some guys are going to need a kick in the butt. Some guys are going to need a little bit more coddling. So how do you kind of navigate through that? Uh, you know, I, it was, um, there's a book I read Joe Torrey wrote, um, and, uh, I can't, I don't remember the title. I'm not good with titles, but I read a lot. I like to read. And um, Joe Torrey was talking about how managing it's, and especially at that point, right. With the big leagues, but I think it still plays down here is it's not so much managing players and the X's and O's, you know, that's why I try and build a good coaching staff. That's what they're for. Um, my job is to, like you said, get guys to meld, uh, manage egos, manage people, uh, build relationships um, because that all helps us mesh together, you know? Um, and I talk to coaches all the time about this, you know, a little secret, the cat's out now, but basically, you know, I tell coaches like, Hey, let me be the bad guy. I'm the guy that's going to get the ship right. And we're going to kind of put things in line and you guys are there to help them and work with them and be there for them and be friends to them. And like what happens is, is, you know, they get the intel, man. They find out what's going on. They know who needs stuff. And then I get it. And then we handle it, you know, and it's, it's a good team effort. It's like a good cop, bad cop, mom and dad, you know, type scenario. Um, but it's, it's a big team effort as a staff to just keep everybody in line and just get people to buy in. And, and uh, like you said, man, everybody's different, you know, um, I don't, you hear stuff. Sometimes people think that kids change and stuff and I don't think they changed at all. I just think that, um, you know, we can't be afraid to discipline, can't be afraid to hold the kids to high standards. But I think that kids, if anything, demand a little bit more of a relationship nowadays, right? So um, the way I kind of say it to coaches, and, and this is for myself too, like, if I don't know you, you're not going to take well to instruction, you're not going to take well to me yelling at you, right? You're not going to take well really to anything. But if we build a relationship, you'll run through a wall for me. Right. So at the end of the day, it's just trying to build those. And some take longer than others. Some take a little tweaking. Um, but at the end of the day, if I can get everybody to feel like we're part of a family and they respect me and we have a good relationship, then we can really get a team going. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you're watching, when you first get the guys out there in the spring and you're watching, evaluating your team, what are some of the big tools that you harp on as a coach? Oh, well, your arm's number one, right? I mean, number one, and that, and like I said, dude, these kids can't even throw, right? So <laughs> we come in, and, it, and I've always said throwing is your number one tool, right? Because if you can't throw, I don't really have anywhere to put you, right? I mean, you better be dropping bombs. You better be a big old donkey. Otherwise, I got nowhere to put you, right? So 
Um, if you can throw, then there's a lot of options for us to kind of get you in, move you around, um, get some playing time and teach you the other aspects of the game, right? Um, arm is a really hard one that if you don't have it, right, it limits you, right? It shrinks you down to maybe left, maybe second, maybe first, right? And then there's some other factors to that. And so when you can throw, man, now we can maybe even pitch you. You can play more positions, right? So it opens the door. And, you know, like we talked about the difference between us and Sarah, right? We have really, we have to work rosters in order to be competitive, right? So I need guys to be able to play multiple positions so we can build a team that's, you know, competitive. Um, we don't have guys that walk in or just catchers or just third basemen. We usually rotate guys around a lot of positions. So if you got that arm, it really helps us out and allows us to kind of, you know, create a more variety of a player for us. Yeah, sticking with just building your roster, how do you kind of evaluate those players who are on the bubble between JV and varsity? You're not sure they're ready for the next step yet, but they're putting out good work and they're showing a lot of heart. Oh, man. Um, I, th I think that's a tough one. You know, like, I don't like to really send down anybody who's a junior, you know. Um, we usually try and keep them all up. I think the only benefit of ever sending a junior down was if he just really needed the work um, and would get some innings down there. Or if it was like, if I had a PO, but I really don't get those here either. Right. But if I had a PO that could eat some innings down there on JV level, maybe I'd do that. But for the most part, man, we just try and keep them in, you know, I've got a real high loyalty to seniors, you know? So like when I look at my lineup um, every year, it's like I pencil in seniors almost in every spot it's their job to lose and we build the competition and then we just kind of funnel guys up. But um, yeah, it's really hard to move guys around like that. It's just, it's not something we do um, very easily, you know, it's hard. So yeah. if one of your guys comes up to you and asked, you know, the, the, the steps that he could take to make it at a higher level or the next level, what would you tell him? Now you're talking about to get up to bars. You're talking about to college, uh, college, let's go college. Oh, college. Uh, well, I mean, at the end of the day, like everything we're building is trying to build these guys for the next level. Right. So and the only thing that really changes and this is the way I kind of explain it to them is baseball is really the same game all the way through your career. And especially once you get to 90 foot bases. Right. The game doesn't change. The only thing that does change is the speed of the game. Right. And so every level you move up from here on out. Right. Pitchers throw harder pickoffs are faster and nicer, right? Throwdowns are coming down harder. People are running faster. Your outfielders cover way more ground where you used to get a single or a double. Guys are tracking those things down, right? Um, plays are happening faster. Double play, right? So everything just starts to get faster as you, you move up the level. So what I really try and harp on our guys is like the skill has to be there first before you can play fast. Right. So your fundamentals have to be there first before you can speed things up. Right. So really what we're doing is trying to build a lot of the fundamentals and lay a groundwork of fundamentals so that they're not thinking. And then when you're not thinking, you can get faster. You know, that's kind of how um, we build them. Right. Is we want every the foundation laid out first so you can speed things up. And that's, you know, that's really what it is, man. It's just building the foundation, building the fundamentals. And you can, if you have the base, you can move up from there, basically. 
So in high school, that there's really not a lot of technology when it comes to, you know, looking at video of a guy, like how it is in pro ball or the big leagues. So a lot of your decisions are made with like the eye test and with your gut. What are some of the strategies? And I don't want you to spill the beans on any secrets here, but what are some of the strategies you use to come up with? You know, you're writing down on a lineup card. How do you come up with the perfect lineup one through nine with guys that you're basically only judging with your eyes? Uh, well, from building our own team, you're talking about building our own lineup. Like, well, I mean, we can go both ways, right? Mm-hmm. So building my guys, uh, um, you know, I think there just comes, there's different philosophies on how to build a lineup. There's a lot of things out there. And I think it changes based on kind of your personnel and what you can do. Right. So, um, you know, we don't have a team that is built with a lot of home run hitters, right. We go and play some of these teams like Sarah, right. Mitty and so forth. They got guys down the seven, eight hole that can drop a bomb. Right. And we don't necessarily have that. Right. We might, I think we had one home run this year. Okay. Um, so in order for us to develop and to, and to get runs, we need to do other things, right? So plate discipline is a big one for us um, so that we can get on base, get deep in counts, maybe walk, so forth, right? Another thing I like to do is I like to split my outs, okay? So don't, you know, now the kids know who maybe being, were the outs, but, you know, I like to maybe put a good hitter, then maybe a guy who's not so much, and then another good hitter, and then maybe not so much, and then another good hitter, and spread it out because then it gives me opportunities to do some hit and runs, um, move some guys over with bunting, and play a little bit more of the small ball action to develop our runs, right? So we've got to be more creative, so our lineup is is dictated on that, right? Um and then other things come into play, right? So um, I call them log jams. I don't like to put slow, two slow guys behind each other, right? Because then it limits me on the bases. Uh, more double plays could happen, right? So um, you build it out based on your team speed. You beta, build it out on your ability as batters who can handle bats. I mean, everything changes based on your personnel. So, you know, if I had a bunch of boppers, well, then we might go a more traditional lineup, right? If, I, if we don't, and we try and spread it out. And it just depends on your personnel. Uh, and really, you just kind of put them in the place to be successful with what you got, you know. Absolutely. And you coach at one of the few schools in the city that has their own field on campus. But it's also that wind, man. That wind is something else. <laughs> what goes into, like, teaching your athletes how that field plays? And once they kind of get a grip of it, do you think it gives you guys an advantage at all? Yeah. I mean, other than, you know um, – when you get a big lefty up there, it's a short porch and, you know, Sarah's got like eight of them, but other than that, you know, um, no, it's definitely something that um, we pitch to, Um, you know, we're okay with right-handers trying to pull the ball. Um, So we'll pitch a little bit differently at our place than we might at some other places. Um, Our outfielders are able to cheat in a little bit, knowing that the wind's going to drop and push those balls down. But then they also know how the jet stream plays. So, yeah, I mean, that's our home field advantage for sure. We know how things play. We've kind of got our um, little sets on how to play those specific areas. So, yeah, it's definitely an advantage. Definitely. So there's a big debate about travel ball and how much usage should be monitored on travel ball teams. Are you a big proponent on travel ball or do you think that there should be some sort of refreshment period? Like I I know I had – coach Jeff on here and coach Jeff was saying that there's a lot of 
there's not a lot of kids playing other sports. There's a lot just sticking to one and that's baseball. And I guess if you're a position player, it works because you get at bats. But if you're a pitcher, there might be some worrying about, you know, arm usage or, or whatnot. So are you kind of a big proponent on travel ball? Does it need to be monitored a little bit? Uh, yeah, hundred percent, man. I mean, look, I, and pitcher or not, I think it's hands down for every player, right? Like growing up as a kid, right? We did everything. We were throwing footballs around, throwing baseballs around. We were playing basketball. I mean, we were always just doing something, right? And um, I think it's just good for kids in general because specializing in things are like good in some ways, but you can pick up other skills that will translate, right? So I remember when I started playing football, I didn't start playing football until I was at um, Sarah. And what happened was, is, yeah, I was athletic and I had some natural strength or whatever. But when I got into football, man, it was like, you know, my I started to really hit a weight room more, right? You don't hit a weight room like that as a baseball player. As a football player, it's like, man, I started building up some massive legs and really starting to see balls go farther. And I picked up another aspect to my game that I didn't necessarily have just doing baseball, right? Um, you may learn more lateral stuff. You may get better with your feet. I mean, you start to cross-train. Cross-training is something that they do in Olympic guys too you know to just not be stuck in the same planes and the same motions you want to try and switch those things up so your body can have more variety and it ends up translating to make you a better athlete right so i think all in all it's like play other sports get stronger and do what you need to do and then like you know if you really want to make a decision i guess you could do it your junior senior year but looking back at my year um you know, you got a commitment too, right? So if I played football, I'm gonna play all four years because I owe it to my team, I owe it to my brothers. And I think at that point, once you go to college, then make your decision, right? Or it'll pan out. Um, from another sense, I think club ball is terrible because uh, I just don't, I think it's doing a disservice in two ways, really. Arms, the biggest, I'll come back to that. But really, just like I said, kids are not practicing enough they just play all the time and so like that's cool but they don't learn all the ins and outs and the basic skills and the real small details of the game they kind of miss out on that they can hit and they can pitch that's really all they can do you know um so i think that's not good for them but from an arm standpoint hands down i think that's the number one reason why kids shouldn't play club baseball is because you look at big league big league players they play back-to-back games right they don't even play double headers really anymore. Right. And even then they get breaks and pitchers are like five days rest or whatever rest. Right. And these are adults. <laughs> these are adults doing that. you got kids that are still developing and they're pitching and then playing. And then they're coming right back the next day and they're pitching and playing. And it's just like, it's too much. It really is too much. And as a, if I was a parent, the uh, Pitch Smart USA, I don't know if you guys have seen that stuff. So base MLB did a whole study on it and they put this thing out there. And I guess nobody's latching onto it. But, you know, it's like if you throw more than 20 pitches, you need a day of rest. So if I was going to a program as a parent today, if I walked into a place and said, I want my kid to play here, how do you handle the roster? And if, if, I didn't, if they didn't follow Pitch Smart USA, see you later. I'll find another place. Um, but unfortunately, I think parents are just so focused on winning. They think that, ooh, I'm on the best team. This team's winning, and my kid's going to be a college player at five years old. I don't know. 
Uh, but ultimately, if they're not following the pitch smart USA system from the MLB, I think it's a detriment to every single kid um, out there. So, yeah, I, I was watching a YouTube video the other day, and these parents were saying that their kid is a uh, reincarnated version of Lou Gehrig. And I was like, God, what are these guys on? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, speaking of uh, hitting, I guess, well, we weren't talking about hitting, but whatever, it's a transition. So uh, yeah. let's talk hitting. There's a trend that's really taken over baseball, and it's called the three true outcomes. And I'm sure you've, you've heard it, and I'm, I don't know if you're sick of it or not, but I am. I don't mind the walkings in the, the homers, but the strikeouts are, are really what's killing me as a fan watching the games and major league baseball as a whole is hitting a collective. Last I looked, it was 237 mm. uh, in 2021. And that is alarming. Um, mm. The ball's really not in play a whole lot. So how, how alarming is that to you? Well, oh, man, you know, it's just, Everybody's got to make adjustments, right? That's just what the game is, right? Baseball has been being adjusted in multiple ways and pitchers adjust, they come up with new pitches, hitters adjust, things happen. And you just kind of see that adjustment happen through the game. And, and unfortunately, we're at this point in the game where, um, you know, home runs are the big deal, I guess. You know, I thought it was going to change kind of once the juice got out of the baseball like steroids and I thought it might change but they juiced the balls or whatever so they say and so homers were still live and everybody's on this sabermetric hype um so they're just playing that the stats like okay we can win more if we're hitting more home runs I don't think they really care about the fans and I mean if you ask ask me I mean I'm why would you right I mean the games nobody's getting paid nobody's keeping their jobs based on keeping the fans in there I mean I guess they are your payroll, but right. They're trying to win and they're going to do whatever the sabermetrics tell them to win. If that's hitting home runs and it is what it is. Um, I don't think, I don't like what they're doing to try and help the fan base. So like this whole runner on second base thing and trying to build it up. I don't know, man. It, it's really hard because these guys are trying to make money. Nobody's going to pay them to hit singles. Everybody's looking to hit home runs. So it's, I kind of think it's just the nature of what they're being asked to do, you know? Two out hits. We need you back. Uh, did, I agree, you man. Hey, look, I all day, I wish we would go back to that. I think there's some good stuff in there. Um, you know, if you ask me if they made any change in the game, I would just push the mound back, you know? Uh, it's, that's They've done it before. Um, I think they could do it again. Um, they got all these pitchers that are only throwing one or two innings anyways and throwing 100 miles per hour. Just push them back a little bit. Probably get more hits, probably get more balls in play, and you don't have to change the game any. And that's something I would, you know, if it was up to me, I'd just push the mound back, forget the pitchers. Offense will probably climb real quick. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. Do you buy Do you buy into, like, the launch angle and exit velocity because I, I don't see a, a use personally for launch angle, but I feel like exit velocity is pretty useful because, yeah. I mean, who's not trying to hit the ball hard? And I guess if there's a quantitative number to, I mean, I guess it would get into a guy's head where like they want to beat, you know, 105 miles an hour off the bat and that could create bad habits. So do you buy into launch angle or exit velocity? I think it depends on the player, depends on the field, depends on where you're at, right? Like, I think it does really no good for high school kids, um, probably college kids, because 
launch angle all you want, it's just going to be a fly ball out, right? Um, you're better off hitting a ground ball at that level than you are hitting a fly ball. Um, you know, I think for big boppers and the way the fields dynamics have turned down in the major leagues that, you know, they're just playing the odds and I get it. Um, but for younger guys who aren't as strong, I think you're better off learning how to hit high line drives. Um, I think it's also nature of the pitchers. You know, we talk with coach Harlan about this a lot, how, they're just not throwing the same pitches that they used to. Everything's hard. So these guys are able to guess a little bit and just kind of get out on their front foot and let it fly. So, um, you know, maybe if pitchers start throwing more change-ups and bringing back some, some of these real nasty slow stuff, maybe they'll have to change, you know, I don't know, but not for the younger guys. I wouldn't do it. I think it's kind of detrimental to them. Learn how to hit some line drives and get on base and, uh, you'll have a better career and better numbers like that, I think, at least from the lower level. Hayes, with your with your speed, you should be hitting the ball on the ground. That's what I always think of. <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, I don't think they were teaching Ricky Henderson that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, sticking with the comparison between the MLB and the high school level, I mean, we've kind of seen situational hitting kind of become obsolete at the MLB level, and with all your athletes now trying to replicate what they're seeing on TV. How do you go about instilling the value of a high baseball IQ in the field over home runs and big hits? Well, I mean, it's easy on the high school level because if you're not hitting home runs then you ain't batting really well and I'll just sit you on the bench and that's the greatest teacher in the world. You know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, getting guys to buy into a philosophy anyways, you know, um, there, you'll get a guy here or there that thinks they can hit it out of the yard, but you know, uh, failure is the best teacher. Um, so usually what I do is let them fail a little bit. And then once they start to fail then they start looking for help. And then when they're looking for help, that's where you get your buy-in, you know what I mean? And, uh, be able to basically, Hey man, well, let's try this, you know, and then you can get those guys to buy in. But for the most part, everybody else is pretty much, you just got to get them to buy in to team at bats, um, what matters. Right. And the most important thing to me is runs and RBIs. Right. I mean, you got to score to win. Um, and that's what makes an offense. So how are you going to do that? Right. Well, you need to get runners on base. You need to do jobs to get them in. Right. You got to do the little things to get them in. And if you're doing that, you're being successful. Right. And I think that's an easy sell uh, for lower level kids. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it is hard for sure. You know, but maybe it's because again, I don't have guys hitting balls out of the park every day that I don't have to have that same conversation, but maybe it'd be different if I was at Sarah and I had 10 guys that can hit it out of the ballpark. Right. So I just, again, I think it comes down to personnel and, and defining your guys, getting to know your guys and, you know, getting them buy into a philosophy that works for you. Yeah. And we talked about small ball earlier and just the ability to bunt. And I remember getting to the college level and just remember, being taken aback by how crazy it was with their focus on bunting. I mean, do you really, do you try and get your athletes to see the importance of bunting, even though it's kind of one of those things where kids are like, Oh, I don't want to bunt. Yeah. Ask Riz, man. We definitely (laughs) do. man. I mean, every offensive day we're bunting too. You know what I mean? We're, we're going to do it both. Um, And it's funny too, because I'll, I'll tell you what, even though it's kind of become a lost art again, everybody's just cage rats nowadays. Right. Um, you watch a guy, usually a good hitter is, is a good bunner. And it's because a guy that can get in there and just sit down and bunt, right. It's being patient. 
It's seeing the ball. It's catching the ball, right? Well, the same thing's happening when you're hitting, right? So you got guys that got happy feet and they're scared and they can't get behind a ball and just stay there and bunt. Usually they're the same way when they're hitting too. You know what I mean? So um, we definitely teach it. It does kind of a two-part purpose for us. One, we obviously have to play uh, small ball, so that helps. But um, it's a good tool to teach kids how to just read a ball, see a ball, letting it travel. So it does two things for us, um, you know, getting them bunt for sure. Yeah, and I know that the slider machine comes out or the cutter, whatever that is. And uh, I mean, I don't know what level it's set at, but I mean, it, it gets it's tough. It's not easy. But at the end of the day, bunting is going to help you win games. And um, whenever I think of bunting, I always think of, you know, if a team would score first in the first inning, you would always say, hey, got to score one. You got to yep. score one anyways. So, yeah. No matter um, what. yeah. Bunting's and, it's diff- supposed, and it's supposed to be hard. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's you want it to be hard. I remember playing for Ed Chef up in Lewis and Clark, man. They used to take these old uh, the green machines, the up and down ones, right? And they used to uh, put them on a three foot riser, okay, and then the machine. And then they would have those things coming like ninety at you, right? So it's like the tallest pitcher you ever seen throwing as hard as he can, and it's coming out of machine, so it's never going anywhere, right? And they would just tell us, figure out how to hit it, man. Figure out how to hit it, right? That's like the hardest down angle you're ever going to see, and it's nasty, and you got to go up there and do it. So now you go into a game, and these guys are throwing, eight, you know, 85, and it's straight, and they're not as tall. It's easy, you know what I mean? So it's meant to be that way. <laughs> and it just, it just sucks so much to see pitchers go up there and miss, you know, because that's the only thing they do in the cage. I mean, they're <laughs> that's like all their – a lot of them – you know, what, what use is it to even have them up there? Might as well just give them three take signs or two, you know, take signs the whole at bat if they can't bunt. And it just sucks seeing a guy at second base hit a leadoff double. And then the pitcher is the first out of the inning with not getting the bunt down. So yeah, that's for yeah, sure. it's, it's definitely uh alarming for sure. But you're not um, an American league guy. Are you? I could go either way with it. I mean, <laughs> I could go either way with letting pitchers, uh, the argument that I won't buy is that, oh, we're let, let's keep pitchers healthy. Uh, so let's put the DH in like, no, that's stupid. If you can't run 90 feet, then you yeah. shouldn't be an athlete. I mean, that's, that's seriously how it should be. Uh, you're right, man. Think about the uh, the benefits of guys like Carlos Zambrano or like, you know, oh, yeah. Madison Bumgarner. Right. I mean, didn't Zant Craig, you could hit too. Right. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's dual purpose, man. That's that's a good thing. You know, makes you better. Why not? And I, I think Zach Granke is trying to be – he said that he wants to be the first 10-10 uh, pitcher in baseball history. So 10 steals and 10 homers. I think he's got – I think he's 9-9 nine, nine right now. Um, but Zach Granke is definitely awesome. a very interesting guy. Um, and when Zach Granke hits them, he bat flips. So uh, that leads me to my next point. Um, bat flipping, I guess like 30 years ago, would you know get your head taken off. And now it's kind of been promoted by actually Major League Baseball and the let the kids play thing. Where do you kind of stand on on bat flipping? Uh, is it I mean, you're obviously not going to say openly, hey, go throw at this guy because he bat flipped last inning. But, you know, what is kind of the mindset now with bat flipping? Is it part of the game now? Is it still like a little not fun? You know, it's not fun on the receiving end, but where do you stand on the uh, bat flips? 
Well, I mean, if you let pitchers uh, do some kind of dance after striking you out, maybe it might be, you know, the same, but they don't get to do that. Right. So, you know, I guess they get to do a pump their fist when they get out of an inning, but um, I don't know, man. I mean, I think it's, you get away with it now just because you can't throw in anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think anybody really likes it, but, but now they're so hard on guys throwing at people with automatic ejections and stuff that I think they just get away with it. And because they get away with it, they get to do what they get to do. I, I don't care for it really, man. I mean, it's like, it's just one home run. I mean, if it's a walk-off or something cool like that, okay. Like I get it. You won. Right. But if you go up there and, you know, you hit a home run and that's all you did, you could still lose that game. So it, to me, it kind of looks stupid if you're bat flipping like you did something crazy and then you lose the game two innings later, it kind of looks stupid to me. So I guess it depends on the situation, you know, Maybe or get thrown out at second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I don't know, man. I think it's a little showboating. And that's one thing I've always liked about baseball is it's, um, you know, it's kind of a gentleman's game and certain line of respect there. And I think it's, it's something that's carried over for a long, long time. And the traditions, you know, I respect that. And I think they should stay. So, you know, I guess it depends. Not my favorite. Yeah. So, I mean, just sticking with this talk of the unwritten rules and traditions, like, Say you have a kid who hits a 3-0, swings on 3-0, hits a walk-off. Is he running laps the next day? <laughs> yeah, he's getting taken out. Well, he walked off, so I guess he's not yeah. getting taken out. But, um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, especially at this level, right, it's just – it's a um, – you know, it's about the team, right? And it's just disrespectful to do that type of thing, right? And um, it's something that we've never varied from regardless of the situation. Um, I'm pretty hard on that. And Riz would know that, you know, we've got certain rules and there's certain things. Um, You're never better than the team. And there's a certain way that we play this game and certain things that we do. So regardless of who you are, what you did, how it happened, you know, we're going to take you out. You can learn a lesson because at the end of the day, you're never better than the team or bigger than the team. So, you know, Hmm. Especially when you get to those teams that just flat out are not good and you get to like their fifth or, or not, not fifth, but third or fourth pitcher out of the bullpen. And it's just that he's walking guys. And like, when you walk three guys straight, you're going to swing at three Oh, like the next hitter, like it's, it is kind of bad taste and you know, nobody's getting paid at the high school level or college level. So. And like um, you said, it's disrespectful, man. You know, yeah. those poor kids are out there working, man. And that's, you know, baseball is a good sport that can teach you a lot of things about life too. You know what I mean? And just because somebody's down and out, you shouldn't be taking advantage of them. So yeah, it's a learning lesson. It's all it is. And there's no arbitration. So like <laughs> you can't, you can't point to, cause like what happened with the kid with the white socks is like, mm. everybody was defending him saying, you know, it looks better to have 30 home runs in an arbitration year rather than 28 or 29. It's like, well, at the high school level, nobody's keeping track and nobody cares. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That is true, man. All right, coach. I appreciate you joining us. This was a lot of fun uh, and we uh, got a lot out of it talking baseball. Nice, man. Appreciate it, guys, man. All right. Go ahead and follow the podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you find your podcast. And you could follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day, everybody, and uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I never know how to sign off on these. I'm just so, it's so bad. All right. Have a nice day. We're ending this. <laughs> <laughs>